Hi friends, welcome to the More to the Story podcast. Look, if you had a chance to find out all of the details of how Chick-fil-A or your favorite restaurant operates and they're just incredibly successful, they don't just tell you like, this is, you, you say my pleasure, they tell you about all the details, where they get the chickens, how they transport it, all those details, you would wanna know that secret. Same thing would be true as if you learned all the secrets from Warren Buffett for trading, uh, stocks and all that would be involved there. Maybe there's uh, somebody who's able to give you the secret to how you can be a great athlete. You want to listen. Well, I'm telling you, today's podcast is so unique because what is going to happen is we are going to hear from somebody who is like the Chick-fil-A, the Warren Buffett, the LeBron James, whatever you want to say, of thinking about discipleship in the home. And that is Dr. Matt Friedemann. So I am so glad that he's on the podcast today to talk to us about this important topic. Now, this podcast today is sponsored you, sponsored by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where I work, where I am right now, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we do that through a host of programs uh, from bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. We would love for you to find out more about how you can invest in or become yourself a trusted leader serving faithful churches. Like there are faithful churches all around the country, particularly with what's happening in light of some of the transitions in the bigger Methodist family. There are gonna be churches looking for pastors and they need to be trusted. And we believe like God has equipped us here at Wesley Biblical Seminary to prepare people to do that. Secondly, I wanna make sure you know about a couple of things that are coming down the pike. In case you don't know, my new study on the book of Jude, Contender has come out. There are six sessions in this study. It's meant for small groups, but it's been, I mean, right now there's a couple groups that are doing it for like a large Wednesday night Bible study, a large, I mean like 50, 60 people. They're watching the video. They're going off in small groups to talk about it. There's discussion guides. There's a discussion forum where I'll be able to answer questions online. And then there's also six bonus sessions that go deeper in some topics. And why this is so important for our time is that it's highlighting something that is happening in the life of this church that Jude's called to serve, where there's a group of people who have secretly slipped in who are purporting uh, heretical views. They're like trying to teach us, trying to lead people astray. And so Jude calls upon these people to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And I found that people who are in this season of the life, season of the church where there are competing visions of what the Orthodox faith is are being encouraged by this study. So I'd love for you to check it out at andymillerthe3rd.com. That's andymillerii.com. Thanks so much for checking this podcast out. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Matt Friedemann. God bless you. Well, here we are for the interview with Dr. Matt Friedemann to talk about his new book, The New Discipleship <laughs> in the Home. Matt, I'm so excited you have this book that's come out. Well, it's only new because of the new, okay? So okay. <laughs> it's an old book, Discipleship of the Home, but the new is the new. So it added some things to it. Okay, but it's come 10 years after the first time you published Did you look it up? I didn't know that. Well, it, T- I, it, 10 years later? I thought that was what it was. I, d- I don't know. But your life's a little different. And we'll see. 10 years it later, is. right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. now you're not you, you don't have any any kids in the home at this point. You're this is coming from the seasoned champion no, the family well, discipleshipper. Yeah. <laughs> seasoned champion. I'm I've never been thought of that way by anybody <laughs> that I know of. See, okay, so I have six kids, and the last one is in his last year of college. Okay, so wow. So, yeah, I, in some sense, if you want to know, does it work, you, know, you can look at the kids. That's right. That's right. The proof's in the pudding. And I'm thinking, you know, yeah, I kind of like my kids. I like the way they turn out. And I think most people would say 
that kind of thing. I think most most people are happy. But the reason we wrote the the initial book was okay. people were asking, yeah, hey, sure. How do you do what you do? And so I thought, well, that might make a good book. And we start teaching a class first okay. at this at the seminary on this stuff, and then. And then I thought, you know, probably get this into a volume. And so that, that's how all that happened. And rightly, all throughout the book and even already in this conversation, you're saying we, we, we. Well, you know, so I asked my wife, Mary, I said, let's do this Matt and Mary Freedom. She goes, no, just, I don't know. I thought she thought maybe it'd be better for you professionally if you got this. I don't know what she thought. Never really probed that with her. But uh, I, I, I think from the get-go, I say, by the way. You do. You I, do. I say, this is a we thing. I know, and yeah. We did this together, and some of those ideas are her ideas. But she, uh, we, uh, we just, uh, we threw, obviously, most marriages do. You throw in together for the parenting of these beautiful people that God has given to you and, and hope for the best. Yeah. Now, it's interesting, too. One of the key ideas I got from your book is that you need to have a plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't know where you're going, you're definitely get there. Yeah, I got a friend named Hal Perkins that yeah. says something kind of fascinating. He says, everybody's getting discipled. Wow. Everybody is getting discipled by someone, something, some culture. So what we've got to decide is how do we want our kids discipled best for the glory of God? So it's kind of important thought. When you have kids, they will be discipled. They are being discipled. And the culture has a plan in mind for right. your kids. Satan has a plan in right. mind for your kids. Right. And so you've just got to say, well... I, I think that's an understood. We'll just do the best we can. That's it. I'm not going to do the best I can. I'm going to have a plan to do the best I can. Amen. And I'm going to think it through. I'm going to pray it through. Then we're going to execute the plan. And we'll improve the plan along the way. Because you have six kids, which you might have done for the first couple you want to get better at right. as you go. So you morph it. Well, it's kind of like an army. You go out. You, you've got a plan. And then you know that during the battle, things are going to shift. Things are going to change. You're going to do things differently. But on the whole... We had a plan, and we did it pretty much with all six kids. Wow! And you started this plan with it's called like you have this eighteen yeah. by the, by yeah, eighteen. Yeah, yeah. Help! What what is that about? That's the biggest part of the book is the age eighteen list. And uh, at one point, uh, came home from seminary, and I was telling uh, my wife about uh, James Dobson. He in one of his books cited a study that you have to do these things before your kids 18 months years of age or windows doors will slam shut mm. that can never be reopened again wow. I, that just puts the fear of the lord in you right sure and so uh, i said you want to hear the list she says no oh man <laughs> oh whoa I thought, now, I thought. i'm a sensitive guy you know <laughs> I'm, I'm actually i'm like not sensitive at all but in that moment the lord graced me a sensitivity to say just shut up and i i, I leaned back in my chair i thought no what does that mean then it all of a sudden dawned on me uh our eldest, his name's Caleb, was 17 months old at the time. Mm. 18 months was next month. Mm. She didn't want to hear. She, she's a perfectionist. She does things uh, deliberately, and she does that. But she didn't want to hear that maybe she might have missed already, something. So already, already. <laughs> so I, so I'm, I think, well, I think you'd really like to hear this list because I think we did you know, pretty much the list. But I thought, you know, let me just chill out here. Then I thought, hey, honey. And this is about 45 minutes later. I said, hey, honey. Let's do something. So you take out a sheet of paper. I'll take out a sheet of paper. And let's try to describe Caleb as we'd like to see him at age 18. Awesome. Yeah. Now, that's how we'd like to see him under God. Right. With God's vision. But nonetheless, one of the things, and we tried to make these things measurable, tried to make these things behavioral mm -hmm. on the whole. Now, mm -hmm. not all was 
perfect that way. But these were demonstrable things. So it wasn't like we want him to be loving. Well, yeah, okay, but who? Who do we want him to love? Right. Like, for instance, we wanted them to love each other. We wanted them to uh, be a cohesive family unit that really loved and appreciated one another. By the way, that happened. But I don't think it would have happened if we hadn't really said all along the way, this is what we want to happen in our mm. family. We don't want them to dislike each other in the family. So then we say, okay, here's the age 18 list. And so we had a left-hand side of the sheet. I said, now let's make up a new list. Let's have two columns. And we agreed on the left-hand side of the list, which were uh, various things we had, and we categorized them. Things in spirituality, uh, things we wanted them to know intellectually, right. things we wanted them to know relationally. Uh, sexuality yes. was a category. Money was a category. So we had all these things in the left-hand column. In the right-hand column, we said, now, what do we have to do right. to make sure that list comes alive? And that's the thing that comes clear through the whole book is that you have it's your job. Yeah. You are the person who's in this. Yeah. So you, you can't say, hey, we're going to lean heavy on the church to get these things done. Right. I, I, the church ought to help. The church, you ought to be going to a church that helps you disciple your kids. But no, it's not up to the youth pastor, not up to the children's pastor to disciple your kids. They get right. them an hour, maybe two hours a week. You get them all week long, every day. And so it's up to you to get that job done. And I'm not so sure that the Christian community around uh, the Western world has wrapped their brains around that quite like they should have. Mm. Yeah, it, it's definitely something that we're lacking. You know, you, you describe kind of a key moment here, and I think it's so interesting that there is this moment where you realized, you just you just highlighted that you were thinking at one point in the church you're attending wasn't supplying certain things. And okay. You, you're yeah, kind yeah. of getting in this negative place, but then you, you changed. You ch changed that. Yeah, I, I, I'm— I think what we're so I'm going to a church and we don't do things we're, we're kind of low church right and right. I like the whatever the low church is I like it I like that's how <laughs> I like to worship in low church but I recognize there's really a lot of value in doing things over and over and over again and I went to a dead liberal Methodist church growing up okay and uh, a lot of beautiful saints there like yes. there are in a lot of Methodist churches right, but right. this particular church was not good and and, and so I, I went there but Later on, I started giving that church a lot more of a break because it dawned on me, I know the Apostles' Creed because of that church. Right, right. I know the Gloria because of that church. I, I know uh, I, I know the uh, doxology because of that church. I know the Lord's Prayer because of that church. Hymns. And all Hymns. Kind of, yeah, yeah. And so we're attending a church at that point that didn't do any of those things. Mm. I thought, I just was getting irritated at the church. Right, sure. And I thought, wait a minute, Matt. It's only like the Lord said to me, I, I, you know, I felt like the Lord said to me, Matt, it's not the church's responsibility to teach your kids the Apostles' Creed. Wow. It's yours. Yeah. yeah. So get home and do it. Yeah. So if you think that's important, and I think the Lord thinks it's important, then let's let's go. So I started saying, all right, let's get her done. And so there's a lot of things like that, that we started to download our kids, and we decided to do it basically at the dinner table. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Now that's interesting too. That's the key place, and and people won't find that odd. But unfortunately, this is connected. And I love how you come at this. You have an academic side to this book as well, because you're coming at it from the perspective of somebody who is taught in yeah. behavioral study. I mean, if you want to like academically call it that, uh, but discipleship and evangelism for 36 years. By the way, <laughs> this year, the longest standing professor 
ever in the history of Wesley Biblical Seminary. Another story. Right. But beyond that, like, so you come at it with this academic, you know, background and foundation to be able to understand what you're doing. But unfortunately, what's happened is in society, the dinner table has not been a place where there has been this foundation. It's not been happening. People are not eating around dinner tables. And so that's a key thing for you, right, in this uh, book. Yeah. Absolutely key thing. I, the, the biggest part of our discipleship program happened at the dinner table. Right. And so you think, well, what do you do? And uh, one of the greatest things that happened across the years is we would sometimes have students to come in. And really without even thinking, I thought we're just having a kid over to eat. Uh, and they would be in uh, our house at the dinner table and we'd do all these things. And we were just secondhand to us. And, and they're just like totally mowed down. They can't believe what in the world yeah. is going on here. But what happened was, uh, first of all, the genesis of that is this. I read in a book by a guy named Marvin Wilson. I recommend this book. It's called Our Father Abraham, Marvin okay. Wilson. And, and in there, he talks about the dinner table. He says, you know, when the, when yes. the Jews were running this. from Jerusalem because Jerusalem's being, getting destroyed, yeah. they asked the question, now what? Mm. We don't have a temple. And, and frankly, anything that was a, a holy place in that area is now, you know, been cast to the ground. What do we do now? And they decided, the leadership of the Jewish community in exile, running for their lives in Jerusalem, decided from now on, the home is going to be the miniature temple. Mm, I love that. And the dinner table is going to be the altar of the temple. Yes. And so we're going to do the serious business. I thought, I thought well, like, what do you do at the altar of the temple? He said, well, that's where you teach your children the songs of the faith. That's where you memorize scripture together. That's where you're going to learn the famous sayings of the fathers. And so I thought, well, what does that mean for us? So I just sat down and said, okay, what do we need to do to make that come alive at the freedom and dinner table? And so we just have a long list of things we do. I, in the book, yeah, there's uh, a catechism. Yes. Uh, we can get to that later if you'd like, but the catechism, the catechism, just question answer. The catechism came up because uh, Caleb is now eight years of age, and so that's how long it took us to get to the dinner table teaching. So we went from, you know, he's 17 months, and now he's eight years old. Uh, I asked him, son, how many persons are there in the Trinity? And he was befuddled. He had no idea what I was talking about. I thought, man, my church. Wait a minute. Blame the church. You know, that's what we do. Blame the church. No, I said, Matt, that's your fault. Wow. So I went home. Literally, that day, we went home and said, now, let's write a catechism. And within a few days, we had a catechism written up. And uh, and Caleb now is uh, the chair of the religion department at Ohio Christian University. He, he, they worked. <laughs> it, it worked just <laughs> At fun. least on that question, for sure. Yeah. So what <laughs> we many did, others, So too. we did it. Yeah. So this is what we did at the dinner table. And, and okay. People, I love this. So I don't, I'm not even sure if I can remember all the things, but because uh, we don't do them now, just my, Mary and I. But we do always, we do at least three or four of these things, okay. no, no matter who comes over. So so we, yes. we start off with, um, I would read a missionary biography or something out of C.S. Lewis or something out of uh, McDonald uh, and just just read for five minutes to him. I wanted them to see dads read yes, to their kids. Yes, this is helpful, yeah. You know, also want to get out some good stuff for them, but dads read, right? right. Uh, because mom's doing most of the reading. Right. So I, they, they saw me read, and uh, we would get into something like that. So we, we start off with the mission biography or some classic thing from Lewis and McDonald. Then we'd say, okay, let's do the catechism, and we do a section of the catechism. Throughout the questions, they, they'd spit back the answers. Then uh, we did a song. We'd do a hymn. 
and they all have hymn books. Now, I love this. That's uh, the second time through this book, I realized, oh, I need to do that. So there's a new seedbed hymn that coming. There's out. A, that's going yeah. to be a great one. And one of the reasons that's is a great hymn book. First of all, a friend of ours puts it together. Yes. And uh, and Jonathan Powers, by the way, who puts that together, had some discipleship emphasis with my kids in uh, when they were at Asbury. Okay. So interesting. Jonathan, uh, shout and, out to and you. And interesting. There, and Julie Tennant also is a part of that. And, and they have their catechism coming oh, out too. My so yeah. I can't even. Yeah, but these are just tools that you could use in addition to your catechism here. But yeah, don't I wouldn't no, no, even no, worry no, about no. those tools. Do my catechism. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but I loved uh, that was something I thought. I said to Abby after I read this yesterday. I'm like, oh, we have to get hymnals. Like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so we got a hymnal. And uh, and by the way, the, again, let me get back to that. Jonathan Powers and, and I think uh, were, you, were you not on that committee to decide? Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. So th- there are six Salvation Army hymns in that. I don't know what the other five are. Don't really care. Probably won't like them when I find out what they are. But one of them, yes. oh, boundless salvation yeah. belongs in every hymn book Amen. in the world. Thank you. And it's not in the hymn book I'm using right now. So we made it up for our kids. We just okay, said, here's, yeah. here's a sheet. This is what we're singing today. Oh, boundless salvation. Let's re- and, of course, it was it had 20 verses or something. <laughs> That's right. It goes for a while. <laughs> There's a lot. Yeah, that kind of makes you grumpy if you do them all. So anyway, <laughs> we, we would we'd do catechism. We would uh, we'd sing a hymn and uh, you know do some reading. Then we have Old Testament uh, passage that we would have worked on together. Usually that's a chapter or if it's not a chapter, memorizing. significant memorizing. Yep. So we'd have spat an old Testament, a new Testament. We do a creed. They have learned and, and, or something profound from John Wesley or William Booth. Okay. Um, that's a longer thing. Um, but you think, man, like they know all these things, they know them all. They know everything by heart. Right. Well, and you challenged me last year. First time I read discipleship in the home, I came like, kind of like you at that moment, with James Opson. We're learning the Apostles' Creed because we're in a similar. We've been in similar low church sort of situations. Oh yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah, sure. Yeah, so we started started this. Now, do you do this? I know this is a kind of a technical question that made it seem important. You do it before dinner. Oh yeah, right. Absolutely. Instead of after. No, now, I think it's no. Uh, yeah, uh, you might you might not like the Miller House we're doing after, but I just the food's yeah. getting cold. Tell me tell me your rationale. So there. well, uh, let me get through the rest. Of this. Okay, sorry, the, sorry. Then we'll come back to the 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 the, the, win. the, the question everybody asks about it. So, so we we do all these things. We right. do an Old Testament pattern, New Testament pattern. We do a creed and or a John Wesley thing at length or a William Booth thing. Well, when I think say at length, it takes you about a minute to say it together. Okay. Uh, then we'll do, uh, at the end of all that, we'll do a famous prayer, uh, St. Augustine or St. Francis of Assisi or Lord's Prayer or a Pauline prayer. We'll do a prayer together. Then we do an, what, ATS, Adoration Prayer, Thanksgiving Prayer, yes, I uh, love Supplication this. Prayer. You, you skip in that situation the confession. Yeah, we do. I like that. Yeah, it, <laughs> it creates indigestion. <laughs> so, so anyway, we might ought to include it anyway. But so those things, and so... It's a list of about seven, eight, nine things that we do. And the, the, the question everybody asks, it's usually asked by a woman when we do seminars on this. The number one, thought, all the fascinating things you could ask uh, about, what do they ask about? How do you keep the food warm? <laughs> and yeah, and it, the answer is just as simple as a question. Put a lid on it. Oh, there you go. No, sorry, that's yeah, it. Yeah, sure. That's it, Marissa, just put a lid on it. And, uh, you know, or she has to get up and go get the food and bring it at that point. But we ju- we just think that's better. That's more bread of life stuff than bread itself. Mm, and so we just think it's that important to do. And uh, and they have learned uh, through the years that's just normal for our house. It's, it's just going to take a little while. It takes the whole thing. The whole thing takes about 10 minutes. Wow. That's 10 minutes a day. The reason wow. we did it was this. I think a man, a woman 
with their children ought to lead a devotional time every day. Mm -hmm. And we were having a tough time doing it given the age gap and the bedtimes, and we just never found a good time to do it. Hmm. I thought, wait a minute, Marvin Wilson might have a good piece of advice here. And Matt Friedman doesn't miss very many meals. So, <laughs> so the meal time looked to me to be the best time to get her done. And for whatever it's worth, in, in the book, we talk about why meal times together are so absolutely important. Because in studies done uh, by... Uh, Yes, by the Scholastic uh, Aptitude uh, Testing, National Merit, yeah. and the New York Times. They've got, we have data, we have lots of data on how important it is for families to eat together. Right. And so we tried to make that a once a day thing for seven days out of the week. You know, sometimes we missed. Uh, sometimes it was twice a day. But always try to make it at least once a day. And if not once a day, the studies go all the way back to at least three times a week, at least five times a week. But the truth is, if you eat together regularly during the week, across years, your kids are less likely to be taking drugs, to be smoking, to be getting drunk, and they're yeah. going to be smarter. Interesting. Right. That, that's what's fascinating about the SAT, uh, the, the National Merit stuff, is they're going to be smarter. By eating together, yes. Wow. Just eating together, having conversation, laughing at each other's stupid jokes, every, the whole thing. Right. It's a great thing to do, and we know that from a cognitive basis. It's good for brain growth. It's good for relationships. The family that eats together, the family that devotionally eats together, it's going right. to stay together. Now, this is, this, I'm going to transition here, and it's an interesting thing. This is, did not happen in the Miller house. I just wanted to make this clear, yeah. okay? I'm surprised in a pastoral role going into people's homes to visit with them how often the TV is always on. Okay. And even at dinner table, yep. even people might eat together. That means no no TV is on mm -hmm. when you're at the dinner table. You have significant work here talking about not just – I think in the first edition it was more about TV. Right. But now you've expanded to talk about screens in general. Well, in our lifetime, in our adulthood, both you and I, and of course I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you, but – Nonetheless, thanks for our, recognizing that. By yeah, the way. yeah, yeah, and, and better looking too. But anyway, <laughs> in our lifetime, what has happened has been phenomenal with technology. Yeah. By the way, the, the inventor of the computer chip uh, living in a house right across the street from my house in Great Bend, Kansas. So the the whole revolution started on my block. Wow. In Great Bend, Kansas, incredible. Amazing. So that thing has taken off, but it started with TV, as well you know, and TV is terrible for your family. TV is terrible for your brain growth. TV is terrible for your kid. If I were you right now, I'd go grab the thing and throw it out of your house. Virtually nothing good comes from it. Someone's going to say, whoa, wait a minute there, partner. <laughs> There's some significant good things that happen from it, and you can name a program or two. But I think I've got research in the book that suggests even that is not good because it changes the way your brain treats life and treats mm. material and it changes the way you think it actually changes your brain mm. so it's not just the stuff the discipleship program of the world of satan of madison avenue and yes. of new york city of california of hollywood all that is a discipleship program that is teaching wow. your kids but it's not just that it also changes the way your brain works mm. now in our lifetime with that computer chip it's amazing what's happened it's not just a tv thing anymore it has developed into a, a massive thing of of screens of right. all kinds and right. i would suggest that virtually all screens of every kind as a steady diet 
or as an everyday diet for your kids is bad. That includes, especially includes the iPhone. It especially includes things like uh, computer games. Yeah. It includes, well, anything on a screen. Right, right. It just, you can do without it and you will be better and smarter and more holy and more spiritual without it. Now, I, I'm going to tell you, it's especially important for young kids because hmm. that's when their brain is growing. That's where they're being substantially discipled and that discipleship will last for a lifetime. So it's especially important between the age, and I consider adolescence all the way up to 24. But okay. yeah, but we had an age 18 list and we sit on that age 18 list, virtually no TV, virtually no screens. And by God's grace, it happened that way. Wow. Now it's interesting. A lot of people are resisting everything you're saying after listening Absolutely to this right not. now. And like there's screens at a young age. And if you walk around malls or any place, and I've, I've been with friends who the toddler starts to cry, hand them the iPad. Right, right. The iPad and I on. think I got research in this book that'll say why you shouldn't do it. Right, right, Why right. it will not make your kids happier, mm. why it will not make your kids holier, and why it will change the way they think, the yeah. way their brain works. What are they being discipled by? And, yeah. and furthermore, it adds, particularly with today's uh, uh, iPhones and all the social media they can do, it actually depresses kids. Right. And frankly, we've seen a, a substantial rise in, in suicides right. with those who are on those. And that's, as you say, virtually everybody. Let me say, I'm not a prude on this matter. I love all this technology. I love it mm. all. When a kid's growing up, it's not a good time for them to be addressing this with their brains. So I'm going to say, I, I grew up in one of those households where the TV was always on. If a human being was in the house, the TV was on. Right. I right. love TV mm. to this day, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Anything moving on a television screen, I want to watch. Mm. It just uh, good TV, bad TV, uh, moral TV, immoral TV. It doesn't matter. I love TV. So I'm not a prude on this. But uh, let, let me tell you my quick testimony on this. In college, yeah, I got all up into uh, Keith Green. Love mm. Keith Green. Yeah, and sure. there's a Keith Green song somewhere up and down the line that said, take care of your sin. Mm. I don't know what song was, but I said, you know, I'm going to do it. So I walked into my apartment. Now, I was in college, University of Kansas, not exactly, you know, a right. Christian liberal arts education. But I walk into my apartment. I said, any sin I see, I'm getting rid of. Wow. So first thing I saw was the television. I actually grabbed it and took it outside and uh, laid it down. I thought, well, as long as I'm going to destroy it, might as well have fun with it. Took a brick. It, by the way, TV screens are tough. Broke mm. the bricks. Wow. Broke uh, the bricks. Yeah, broke the bricks. <laughs> uh, I picked it up and did a, 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 a clean in reverse. In other words, I threw the thing down, a snatch in reverse. I guess I picked it up overhead, threw it down, and try, and it bounced off the screen. I was, I was getting mad now. I, I want to destroy this thing. I went across to the elementary school. I climbed up on the catwalk. Oh I'm my. three stories up. Through oh, the, my goodness. You cannot break a TV screen. It doesn't break. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, but at the end of that, it was pretty much destroyed anyway. And yeah. I haven't owned a television since then. It's not been in the house. Well, we, the, the kids haven't watched it. And that is one of the best things we did for the discipleship of our kids is we just didn't do TV. Right. Now, fully, completely, no, nah, we watch some TV and we watch some ball. So I'm not a prude on it. I'm just saying, on the whole, we know by research it's not good for their spirituality. It's not good for their brains. Now, one of the places here, I'm, I think I have, you have this uh, place where you talk, you have questions and answers, like the kind of assumptions and basic questions that people probably have asked you the hundreds of times that you have presented this material. And one of them is, well, your kids, you don't want them to, if they do this type of thing, they won't fit in. And you say, 
this is probably a good thing that they don't fit in, and they'll be glad they don't fit in in this way. Listen, uh, yeah. And, and is that the case for the, your kids? The, one of the discipleship yeah. of, the, uh, of the world is let's fit in. Uh, and what we've noticed, of course, we're homeschoolers, which allows us to do a lot of this stuff. Right, you know, right. And if you're not a homeschooler, you're still going to be able to do it, but it's going to take some more work, and you're going to need to know you're fighting the discipleship pattern of the world increasingly so right. if they're not homeschooled. But nonetheless, we're, we, do, we do homeschool. And, and, and having said that, uh, the number one objection with homeschooling is they, they're not going to be socialized. I'm thinking, <laughs> socialized into what describes socialization to them. Wow, interesting. Because they're more likely to smoke, more likely to drink, more likely to have sex, more likely to cheat on exams, more likely to do everything, more right. likely to if they go to a schooling system, whether it's private or public. Right, right. So I'm just thinking, talk to me about socialization. What do you think? Because I think you can take the typical, um, there's good homeschoolers, there's bad homeschoolers. Right, sure. Good public schoolers, bad public schoolers. Good private schoolers, bad. We know all that. But the typical homeschool kid I know can move into a room and socialize better with adults in that room and with kids in that room than most other kids. Right. And I think there's some research that would bear that out as well. I think what's interesting, like my case for homeschooling, as somebody who is a homeschool alumni, you know, I went to... Booth Academy is what we called our school. Really? My kids are home. I don't really? know if I told you that. Very yeah. nice. I, I, you know, know. I used to say to people, like, uh, you know, when we were out, they were still in, in the where we, li- we live, people might have thought it was wrong or illegal to homeschool. And so p- when I would be out in the middle of the day and people would say, uh, well, where do you go to school? We just answered Booth Academy. Very were, nice. Then one time somebody said, well, where is that? I'm saying, oh, it's on uh, Hoover Lane or wherever I live. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know about that school. Oh, do you? Interesting. <laughs> I, I, you, you, listen, you're writing your dissertation on William Booth. I want to tell you. I want to be at least in this seminary the second biggest fan of William Booth. I mean, I love that guy, mm. and and my kids have him memorized. Yeah, I love. I it. mean, we we we're big fans. Anyway, you're going somewhere. Okay, with us. yeah. Eventually, I also want. Well, I, don't, I actually forgot where I was going with that point. But nevertheless, I think it's important for us to have these opportunities to take advantage because what happens? I know where it is. Homeschooling. It, it's the principle is. We are the ones who have the opportunity to be in the driver's seat with discipling our children. Yes. That's the, that, I think that's the point. And, and it, certainly it can happen for people to disciple their kids if they're in a school situation. Yeah. But it's, you, you indicate it is harder. But it's, there's, people are just going to be more intentional if that's their situation. Yeah, and I would say that the best socializers of children are adults and uh, mature adults. Not all adults. Right, right, mature right. adults and mature parents. Right. So I think those are the best socializers of children, not other children. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's, you, you've highlighted that for me. In, in, interesting because like when you throw kids around other kids, what's going to happen? Right. Yeah. I mean, they're going down to the lowest common denominator down there somewhere. <laughs> and some of that, sometimes that's not so bad. Right. But I, I would say, um, you know, and I, w- I was public schooled. Actually, I was public schooled through my Ph.D. So interesting. I yeah, know public yeah. schooling. I know public schooling all the way up through. I think I figured out the 22nd grade. <laughs> so uh, I know public schooling, uh, so I think I have earned the right to be a bit of a crit- uh, critic of it. Uh, I think there, are, and I have a daughter that is a public school teacher. Right, right. I love that. I love all of that. But having said that, schooling systems are not normal for human history. Mm. In human history, that's not how we have done business. Mm-hmm. And I think when literacy was at its zenith, there was not a huge public school mm-hmm. program mm-hmm. in America. You know. William and Catherine Booth homeschooled their kids. Oh, absolutely. So, okay, now let's throw One this more in. reason. The thing you added here is interesting, and I found it helpful. Maybe it's because you see what's coming your way. Mm. 
grandparents and discipleship. Okay. No, I, did, I don't. Yeah. Well, it should be coming your way. Yeah, you yeah, no, it's coming. It's, it's yeah, yeah, coming my yeah. way for sure. Uh, not yet, but it's coming. So I'm not a grandparent, but this is what happened. When you go do seminars, there's always, she's always going to show up. <laughs> it's not a he, it's a she. She's always going to show up. She comes up at the end of the seminar, has tears in her eyes and says, boy, I wish I would have known this 30 years ago. Wow. I wish I would have known this 20 years ago. The difference it would have made in my life, in my kids' lives. And I thought, man. I need to write a chapter that helps those people out. Yeah, sure. So I decided to say, let me write a grandparenting chapter. Let me do a little research on that. Let me go ask some people. So I actually asked two sets of grandparents that no, this are is a great tremendous. Section. I mean, they're tremendous grandparents. And I know some others around here that are, I just, I, I, I didn't have time, didn't want to do 50. I just went to two that are really great. And I include what I found from them, learned from oh, them in the great. book. Oh, it's great. I love it. One thing I, I have never thought about it, and you talk about the very beginning of the introduction to plan to the fourth generation, pray for your grandkids and great grandkids, but nevertheless, planning to be a grandparent. And you have four things that people need to do to plan. Well, yeah. Yeah, you just need to get ready to go on it. And again, if you don't plan on something, it's probably not going to happen, or at least not going to happen the way you want it to happen. Yeah. And so I think there is some planning going into it. I kind of forget what those four things are. Now, but, <laughs> okay. But At least one, one of them is like health. Well, like yeah, that's what I was going to say. One of them is, Matt, you got to get your body in, ready to go. Right. This uh, is important, helpful to me. And Mary really is already there. But, you know, you need to lose the weight. You need to get ready to go so that you can get down there on the floor with those kids and have right. fun. And you know, let them climb all over you and have pillow fights with them. But you're not going to do it, Matt. If you're a guy that's, you know, having heart attacks and strokes and you're overweight in, the, in your easy chair. So wow. get in shape. So I'm, I'm trying to do that even now. Get in shape for these golden years, great years, grandparenting mm -hmm. years. And that, that's one of them. There's all kinds of things. I, I want to spiritually feed them. But one of the keys to great parenting, is, grandparenting is you are not the parent. Right. You use this analogy. This is helpful, this metaphor. That you, you have, like, there's the, the coach. Yeah. Oh, it's all right. I, I can't remember. I can look it up. Well, what, uh, you, you, the infielder, the utility infielder. Util, you, the utility infielder. How can you fit in in the way that's most helpful? And what you're trying to do is fortify the parents. And since you raise the parents, uh, hopefully that's going well. Sometimes <laughs> it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Right, right. But if it doesn't, it's still not your job to move in and save the day necessarily. There's something really tragic right, right, is right. going on. And so I, I just think that to be supportive of the parents and the utility infielder says, Hey, listen, we'd like to babysit for you guys. When you don't want to take a night out, we, we'd love to have the kids over. We'd like to come over for the kids and just say vacations, any number of things where you can move in and love them, support them and speak into their lives. Uh, always in support of the parents. Yes. But, yeah, that was a key point. And, too. Uh, and both of the grandparents we talked to were extraordinary at doing that. Yes. So. I love that. And in, in the grandparents role in discipling as well. I love, okay. So you also have a great appendix here that has examples of all this. You have the catechism yeah. in here. You have the creeds that you use, not just, not just the apostles creed, but even the sayings that you have across the way. So right. anything else that you want to tell people about this second edition? Well, listen, it was, it was a real, lot of fun to put together because you're thinking, okay, let's take another whack at this. What would I leave in? What would we take out? A lot of it we left in. Uh, one of the things that we, we really wanted to accentuate was the power of words, 
and that of yes. speaking conversationally into the face of your child. The more you do that, the smarter they're going to be, particularly when they're b- before the age of five or six. The more you speak into their face to them, have a conversation with them, it's just a huge intellectual boost. Right, right. And read to them. Mm. You just got to be crazy readers. My wife was a crazy reader. And of course, I always and told you. give examples too. Yeah. Great examples. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so a lot of good books in the back. Uh, Mary says these are the books that. Uh, that she and others she knows that are great read-aloud parents are using with their kids. So, yeah, a lot, lot of fun stuff. And you stuff tell p- dads they need to be reading out loud to the kids, I, too. I think it's important because, that, yes. that uh, the kids know that their dads are readers, and it's, it's important because, you know, it's one thing for a woman. It's one thing for a mom to do it, but it really adds power when both parents are doing it, and dads need to weigh in heavy. Mm-hmm. Listen, we're tired. We get home. We're tired. We're exhausted. We just want to hit the hay. no. Listen, these years go by, they're gone. Yeah. And you can't retrieve them. Wow. So go ahead and kick yourself in the tail and say, Let's bring me another book, honey. Amen. There you go. So if you had a chance, uh, those who are listening here, if you had a chance to have Warren Buffett come to you and say, do exactly this financially, make this move, make this move at this point, uh, sell, whatever you're going to do, you would do it. Your kids are more important than your money. Mm-hmm. And here you have the Warren Buffett no. of, 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 <laughs> well. of, of family discipleship saying, this, these are things that you can do. So I encourage everybody to go out and get this book. Where can they get it? And, and tell, us, tell us what they can do. Like, yeah, and we, also tell about your class. People could audit your class yeah, or we take got a, class. We got a class right now going on, and it comes out. We do it at least once a year, some, sometimes more. Uh, but uh, this is put out by Telios Press and Francis Asbury Press. Uh, uh, most people go to Amazon.com and find it there. And yeah. we, uh, we're happy with what has happened with our kids with this, and we're happy with what's happened with a lot of other kids. Right. You've influenced t- hundreds, thousands of people. Yeah, we get a lot of this. reports back, and it's, it's really gratifying. And what's great is I think we can honestly say none of it's our ideas. I mm. mean, these are things mm. we've gleaned from others and from the Bible, and— it's just a, it's been a beautiful thing to, to see across the years. Thanks for taking time to do it, Matt, and to talk to us about it. The new discipleship in the home. Get it. This is the time. This is the time for us to take the aggressive, non-passive action in the most important task that we have in raising our kids to be followers of Jesus. Thanks, Andy. All right. God bless you, Matt.